Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to another episode of the Adventures in Advising podcast. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Each episode, we strive to bring together the global academic advising community to share knowledge, best practices, and of course, advising stories. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Advising Podcast. Without further ado, here's the latest episode, and as always, keep advising. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Adventures in Advising. And hey, greetings and salutations, and welcome to episode 32 of our podcast. We're excited for you to be joining us today. We are in April, if you can believe it, and I hope you are doing well. As for most of us, we are about a month or so away from the semester being over. I do want to take this time to acknowledge much of the anti-Asian hate that seems to have amplified, and thank you to Nakata for putting out an email blast to members regarding this, and here's just a small excerpt from that. Since the beginning of the pandemic, members of the Asian community and individuals of Asian descent have faced amplified hate, violence, and aggression, demonstrating how the response to COVID-19 has been deeply racialized. It is not enough to only acknowledge and decry this increase in violence, but also condemn all forms of identity-based violence. As members of the Nakata community, we condemn all acts of racism and hate. We stand in solidarity against hatred, racism, xenophobia, misogyny, and all forms of discrimination and violence. It goes on to read, Nakata recognizes the value and power of diversity among our members and the students who entrust us with their educational experiences. As an advising community, we must come together from all our different institutions, different roles, and different places of understanding and desire to be better and through our unifying work, create a better association so we can better serve our students who need us. And there are numerous resources that are listed in the email, including a link to a Nakata webinar from last year titled Xenophobia, Anti-Asian Racism, and Intolerance, How to Support Students, Faculty, and Staff During COVID-19. This is definitely something that deeply impacts me, and this is just a reminder that we need to constantly be working to better serve our students. And Dr. Virginia Lohagan from San Diego State University calls this the three A's for advising, empowering our students. And that is to one, assume they need help, which helps us conduct more proactive advising. Two, amplify their voices, which helps us to ask their opinions and give them a positive spotlight. And three, advocate and elevate, which allows for students to have access to more opportunities. Kudos to the organizers of the UCAT and LVSA virtual conferences, which both took place last week. They were really successful, fantastic keynotes, great presentations and interaction throughout. Yes, and congrats to Gavin Farber from Temple University on winning the Charlie Nutt Award for promoting and supporting international collaboration and academic advising. Well done, well deserved, and congratulations again. So let's dive into our interview today, and that is with Amy Brock, Director of Advising in the College of Agriculture at Auburn University. We were able to chat about many different topics from advising philosophies to being the previous chair of Nakata's LGBTQA plus advising and advocacy community to even being the Director of Advising. So great conversation, and let's get into it now. Oh, 
Over the last decade, Amy Brock has moved from an administrative assistant, a professional advisor, to an advising administrator who believes in the uniqueness of every student and that advisors are the cultural navigators. Amy serves as the Director of Advising in the College of Agriculture at Auburn University, where she supervises professional advisors, including professional development, retreats, team building, new advisor training, and juggling the needs of eight college departments. In addition, Amy oversees the advising of all students from orientation to graduation. Prior to this, Amy served as the Assistant Director of Academic Advising and Planning at Young Harris College, where she was also awarded the Unsung Hero Award. Amy earned her Bachelor of Science in History from Tennessee Wesleyan College, Master of Arts in History from Western Kentucky University, and is currently pursuing a PhD in History from Auburn University. Amy is heavily involved within NACADA, the Global Community of Academic Advising, where she currently serves on the Emerging Leaders Program Advisory Board, the Inclusion, Equity, and Engagement Committee, and will soon be serving on the Scholarships and Awards Committee. Amy is about a co- having a cohesive, positive, and engaged advising team that spearheads the future of their profession, institution, and selves. Amy strives to challenge your team to think about their goals and passions, because only when we are engaging in what inspires us can we bring positive change, growth, and learning to our students and our institution. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to see y'all. We, yeah. <laughs> virtually yeah. quote unquote <laughs> C yeah. quotation marks yeah. <laughs> well for for listeners we we do get to to see you but of course it's only the the audio that that is recorded but it's still I mean they will still get a sense of who you are and we are delighted to get the opportunity to chat to you over the the next little while I suppose, Amy, we heard a bit about you in your bio and very accomplished, but can you talk to us about, you know, your journey into to higher ed and where you are now? How did you how did you come to work in higher ed? Yeah. Uh, so fun story. I was every undergrad student that you've ever met, and I was 100 percent certain that I was going to law school. And so I did all of the things like I worked really hard through undergrad to make that happen. And I early applied, went, did some study abroad in India. My whole world changed. I got back, got accepted to law school and was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. So I broke my mother's heart and (laughs) decided not to do that. Um, And then right out of college, um, really my husband, now husband, um, got offered a position at Young Harris College um, in his field. And I went and they were doing a researcher position for SAC CSE accreditation. So that's our regional accreditor. And um, I did that for a year and I hated it. (laughs) And I was chatting with the director of advising um, at lunch one day and she was like, you would be a great advisor why don't you come and shadow and just see if you like it? And so of course I went and that first day I was over the moon. It was the most exciting day I'd had at work. And I was like, I need to do this. I have to do this. And of course, every time you find opportunities like that, you have to work for it, right? Nothing gets handed to you. And so I was an admin for two years or so, and then I got promoted to a full-time advisor when a position came open, um, did some advising 
for many, many years and then um, got promoted to director of advising and reorganized the whole advising model at our institution. Um, and then I was like, well, done everything I can do here. What's next? And uh, moved over to Auburn where I love love the college there it's problematic right um as someone who identifies as a member of the lgbt community um it definitely is a shift right (laughs) um but auburn is a wonderful place uh to work and i've had nothing but amazing support um here of course um so yeah i mean really just loving students and being really excited to help students thrive is how I got here. You had mentioned when you were revisiting your advising philosophy statement, I think you had wrote that I thought for sure that I would have changed dramatically since my first attempt to put into words the guiding principles of my work, but I noticed much of my philosophy was still relevant to me today. Back then, I believed that students were individuals and appreciative advising was the main delivery method for good advising. I still believe those things, and I think I believe them more firmly now. When you reflect on that, why do you think you came to that conclusion, and what it is about like appreciative advising that connects with your advising philosophy? Yeah, I always think of my students as part of my family. Um, I know that there are some very specific boundaries that we set with students, um, but I also know when you're working very closely with students, Oftentimes those get blurry. And by that, I mean, you get attached to to students, to their stories, to where they're going, to their goals and dreams. And so um, it's very hard to not be kind of rooting for them the way you would um, any character in, you know, movies, film, books. Um, And no student I've had ever has been exactly the same as any other student. Every student has a different story. They have different challenges, different problems. Um, And even if their problems are the same, they're very different, right? So two students can be struggling financially, um, but has family support, you know, or not. And so it's a very complicated mix. And I think the only way you get to fully envelop students and really think about what they need in their their journeys in college is to get to know each of them on an individual level. Um, Appreciative advising welcomes that. I remember it was 2012. It was my very first Nakata annual conference. And um, I went to an appreciative advising session with Jenny Bloom. And you know, you get to watch Jenny Bloom do appreciative advising. What is not? I mean, gosh, she's a rock star. And (laughs) I was like, this is it. This is what I had been missing. Um, My institution, my previous institution had had a very prescriptive model of advising. Here, take these classes. And no one really connected deeply with the students. And I found myself connecting deeply with them, but not having a name for it. And Jenny Bloom gave me the name for what I was doing. And um, she said in that session that everybody has someone that they know who they want to protect and they want them to be treated well. And that that person just is someone you would expect and hope that they would get treated like family. 
when they were going through your office. And I was like, yes. And so family really became a central theme in my advising of treating my students like family and really, you know, helping them build the scaffolding to be engaged global citizens. So going out into the world prepared and ready. Um, I think there's a fine line between doing it for the student and helping the student learn um, to do those things and to become engaged citizens. And so, um, yes, I've found that appreciative advising really helps with that, um, gives the students the guidance they need to build on their strengths so that they can go out into the world. It was interesting to, to hear about your your journey there. And I really like that term scaffolding and or to scaffold with the, the students in terms of support. Um, and you talked about engaged global citizens. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, you had visited India and, you know, that kind of changed your journey, I suppose, or, or what you were thinking at that time. Can you maybe talk a little bit in terms of that experience, but also in terms of, in, you know, engage global citizens and, and what that means for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, I was given the opportunity. Um, my undergrad was affiliated with the Appalachian College Association, and they were looking at a group to go to India and I had never been really abroad except for the places that you would normally go, right? Canada, if you live in the United States, um, the UK, those kinds of things. But going to India was different, right? India feels different. It's further away. It's a really long plane ride. Um, and it was incredible from the moment that I arrived. There's this remarkable opulence and on the other side of this street I mean literally you would be driving down the road and there's this multi-million resort hotel and this beautiful like marbles buildings and on the other side of the street are slums I mean just right next to each other the juxtaposition was incredibly jarring um but it also opened my eyes to a world that wasn't just like pretty much every 22 year old. I was like, I just need a job to make money. Right. And then this kind of opened my world to, yeah, jobs are important, but really digging in and getting into some social justice is more important to me, which had been my goal with law school, but law school doesn't really offer that opportunity not to, have the time to work and do these passion projects. Um, and so I didn't know that I could do that in higher ed, but I can, which is great. <laughs> um, and we can talk a little bit more about what that means. But um, as far as the second part of that question, the engaged global citizens, this has always been a part of something that I believe that if students can look with empathy and compassion at other people within their own culture, within their own society, and externally, and try to really understand the differences, acknowledge that there are differences, and be able to look at those differences and say, this is interesting. 
how can I move within the society in the way that makes the most sense and is the least harmful. Um, so in the College of Ag um, at Auburn, where I work, we have a lot of programming um, for students to go abroad to other countries, to China and Vietnam. Um, we have a, a program in the UK <laughs> that our horticulture students do every summer. And so when I'm talking with students about going abroad and about their adventures, I'm always counseling them to understand the culture you're going into understand how you can do the least amount of harm when you're there um, and take care of people in a global society. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, as this pandemic has pretty much shown us, we are all connected, whether we know it or not. Yeah, we definitely are connected. And I guess we know you were talking about, you know, a lot of the different programs that Auburn offers and where students could actually travel. How is that looking in the future right now. <laughs> yeah. So fun story. Um, pretty much all travel shut down mm -hmm. during the pandemic, um, which for the college of ag was rough because we do so much work with study abroad for our students. Um, those travel restrictions are being lifted more and more um, as the months go on. But we know that this could happen again, right? There, This has kind of been a reality check for all of us. And as a historian, I understand like 1918, there was another big epidemic. And so we have to be prepared to adjust. Um, so one of the things the College of Ag is doing is working on an international ag certificate, which gives students some opportunities to engage internationally without maybe having to travel, although travel can be part of it. So um, the future looks bright. I have no doubt that we'll be traveling again in a couple of years and making new friends and new countries. But it's right now, it's just a little bit of a challenge. Absolutely. And it is about finding ways to do that. And certainly a lot of talk about kind of partnerships uh, at the, over here at the moment in the way in which we can help students to engage if they can't uh, travel. Now, you mentioned um your some of your your passion projects and your ability to, to work with those uh, you know within a higher within a higher ed or, or have them uh, be part of it or alongside it can you talk to us a little bit about uh, some of those passion projects stay with us we'll be right back cracking the college admissions code just got easier i'm rebecca gordon your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop-your-face-onto-a-water-polo-hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. Yes, so I have always been that person who was incredibly sensitive to social inequity. Um, it started very young. I was one of those people who learned about the civil rights movement and was just really pissed off. Can I say that? Can I say that word? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and was able to 
grasp the inequity really quickly. Um, I was also pretty formative teen years um, when Matthew Shepard was killed. And I was so mad. That was really the first time that I learned that you could die because of who you loved. And um, I was just frustrated, frustrated with the system, frustrated um, with nobody really caring. Um, And I wanted to be able to fight with those people. Um, Any, anyone who felt like they were not being given equal value, equal treatment. And I was, I mean, you know, that was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So those were moments when that first kind of started with me. Um, To draw it back to Nakata, though, because I'm sure y'all really want to hear about that. (laughs) I was really excited to join um, the LGBTQA um, commission when I started. So we all know that shifted to community now, which is hard for the LGBT actual community, community of people, not just within Nakata, because (laughs) it's very much a community. Um, But I was super excited because that meant that this was a place where I could learn, where I could interact and where I could fight for some social justice for our LGBT students. And um, it was one of those moments when I was like, yes, 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 I need to do this. So um, working with folks like Mandy and Wendy Schindler to really hone in on that. And that was my first Nakata presentation. So um, Luke Garten, uh, Wendy Schindler, myself, and Mandy um, all got together and decided we wanted to present on gender fluidity in bisexual students. It hadn't been done before in Nakata. And so we presented that next year. Um, and I continue to do that. Joined the steering committee um, where we were working for some change and um, just kind of did that for a while. And then was able to actually chair that committee. I just rolled off in October uh, last year. Um, But really to focus some of that. What we learned, though, um, in the past couple of years, that community is meant for thinking about how you advise students. So it's really about advising. But we found that advisors, LGBTQA plus allies, um, really needed a place and a space. And they didn't see that at Nakata. A couple of things that I brought up to Charlie. I was like, Charlie, we don't have, we don't have pronouns on badges. Can we do pronoun ribbons? Charlie, we don't have all gender restrooms at the conferences. That's really frustrating for folks. And he said, we'll work on it. (laughs) Like Charlie does, right? (laughs) You bring up a good idea and he's like, okay, great. You're in charge of that now. Um, and so he put together a group of folks who are amazing folks, um, to work on that. And as y'all know, if you remember from Kentucky, we had pronoun ribbons, um, and we had all gender restrooms and that's true at regional conferences. So it started a region four conference. Um, Jonathan Halford was leading a region four conference in Mobile a couple of years ago. And he came to me, he's like, what does a conference need? 
And I was like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, but advisors are really looking for that community too. Um, so it's something that it's a fine line that we have to walk within that community of what do we need to advise students, but also we're not an affinity group, but many of the people here do feel like they're part of the alphabet mafia and how do they, how do they come together, um, to form a network too? Um, how that's played out <laughs> at, at past Nakata at Auburn, um, is Auburn has a pretty dismal campus pride index score. I think right now it's a two or a 2.5. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. I think when I looked it up, it was a 2.5. Yeah, um, but through a lot of pressure and social change, um, we've actually established a Campus Pride Index task force um, that's made up of several groups who are working on different things. And I'm leading um, with some of my fellow colleagues um, one of those task force subgroups and really advocating and pushing for social change at Auburn. Um, I would love for Auburn to have a five. I would love for us to get to a point where um, we had some of this, but you know, it takes a lot of time. There's a lot of structural things that need to happen. Um, bathrooms being one of those um, issues, um, accessibility, um, a lot of our buildings are really old. The building I'm in currently right now was built in 1910. And when it was built, it did not have a women's restroom at all, anywhere in the building. Um, because the College of Ag didn't have female students until 1914, at which point they were like, oh, let's just cut the men's rooms in half. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those restrooms need to be updated um, so that they can be all gender. Um, you know, right now um, in the pandemic, there's two stalls in those. But in order to keep everyone safe, it's a one person at a time space. And there's no reason that that couldn't be converted to one person at a time all the time. And those be gender, um, all gender restrooms. So there's definitely a lot of work that I'm doing. Um, my dean actually just appointed me and our associate dean to a diversity, equity, and inclusion task force. Was already serving on the diversity committee for the College of Ag, um, and this is a task force that is really working on quick change. So um, I got to write a diversity statement for the College of Ag and do a climate survey <laughs> and really do a lot of that work. Um, the other thing though, Auburn is a pretty white campus um, and it does not have the resources that we need for our students of color. And so that's something else that the university is working on. I am not actually serving on that task force, <laughs> but um, social justice has been a huge, huge part of my career and everything that I've done has been a lens. Um, it's actually funny. When I got to Auburn, I put my pronouns in my um, email signature. Nobody was doing that. People were asking me lots of questions about it. So it gave me this opportunity to explain. Um, but students knew, right? <laughs> students always know. And students would come to me and be like, 
are you queer? Are you an ally? Are you someone I can talk to? And I'm like, listen, friend, I am an accomplice. What do you need? Um, and so it's definitely been something that I've enjoyed doing, but it's exhausting. It's exhausting work that we do because there's just so much in the world right now that we need to do more. All of us need to do better. Yeah. And it's, it's, going to be a continued kind of effort and like you said yeah it does get tiring but maybe we can talk more a little bit about that and kind of tie it back in with Nakata as well because like you were saying like you're you're very involved within the LGBTQA advising and advocacy community so like you know talking about region being region for rep being on the steering committee being the the chair prior chair of the advising community and I think that's also how we first met was through Wendy Schindler yep and so the LGBTQA advising and advocacy community provides, you know, opportunities, resources for advisors, for members within Nakata. So I have a few questions. So the first two, you know, what are some of those goals and objectives that this advising community does? And, and how can members within Nakata, if they want to get more involved with the community, like, how do they get involved? Yeah. Um, so the goals in the past have really been focusing on getting the research out there. Mm -hmm. If you look, there is zero articles, zero. I mean, academic advising today has some and Cody Harrison just posted uh, one really recently last year, actually. But if you look in the Nakata journal, there's not a single advising LGBTQ student article. And that's tough, right? Because then how do you know how to support those students? How do you, if you grew up not knowing anyone who was LGBTQ, um, I'm going to start saying alphabet mafia, <laughs> just because I don't want to forget people, right? <laughs> um, but how do you know how to support those, those folks? How do you say, hey, friend, Thank you for coming out to me. I don't know what to do. Right. And so it's really tough. Um, so the focus has always been on trying to get more research out there. Um, I would say if you wanted to get involved, a really good way is partnering. So you may be part of another community um, and you think, oh, this doesn't have to do with the Alphabet Mafia students. Oh, but it does, right? Every single community can connect back. So partnering up to do research and presentations um, about your topic along with students um, would be amazing. You know, the community's worked really hard to provide resources. Um, currently, they're working on 101 videos, so topics specifically targeted um, about students who align with the Alphabet Mafia. So what can we do to support those students, right? We also have the Advisor Connection Program, of which I am a part of, so you could call me on my phone, sitting right beside me, we can talk um, anytime. But really, the key here is representation matters, right? And the research just isn't there for representation. Um, I heard a rumor that there's a book, um, a Alphabet Mafia advising book that Craig McGill and Jennifer Jocelyn are doing, but it hasn't came out yet. 
But I do know um, that I served as an editor for that book, and um, I know there's some great information there coming out, and it would be a very handy guide for advisors. So I'd love to get that out there. Um, but if, if you are looking for resources right now, there is one of the Nakata, um, Matt, what are they called? The little books, the pocket guides. Yeah. The pocket guides. There's a pocket guide, um, an LGBTQA pocket guide. So if you were, if you starting at the very beginning and needed more assistance, like you could start there. Um, pretty much every year at Nakata annual, um, there's a one-on-one or uh, 101 session for um, folks. So it's kind of a basic primer. And if you were interested in learning more, but you're like, I don't know anything, this is a great place to start. And it's always led by someone amazing like Wendy or Mandy or myself. Not that I'm calling myself great, but you know, <laughs> it's always there. I think you're great. Thanks. <laughs> but they, um, in those sessions, we always get questions and we always welcome them. Um, and getting involved with the community, going to that business meeting and annual um, is super helpful because you learn what you're doing. My first presentation, my first Nakata annual presentation came out of just showing up at that business meeting and raising my hand. Um, and I think that's important to understand that you don't have to do anything hard or scary except raise your hand and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. Where can, where can I help? Um, the current chair Gerda is amazing, and she would welcome all the support. Um, unfortunately <laughs> for her, a lot of us left the steering committee this year. Um, myself, because I'm working on that PhD. <laughs> and then Cody Harrison, who was on my steering committee, left as well, because he's also working on a PhD. Um, and then, of course, Wendy, as her role um, with the ACD, can't be a part of it anymore. So definitely would be some great opportunities um, to help out. And I know Gerda would super appreciate that. Nice. So if you're listening, please reach out. The kind of, you know, we have an advocacy group that that has openings and could definitely <laughs> use the help. And then my last question connected to this would be like, let's say it's a non-Nakata member, you know, someone that maybe at your institution that reaches out and says, hey, Amy, you know, I want to be more supportive and inclusive for my Alphabet Mafia uh, <laughs> students. Is there anything that you can suggest to advisors? So, you know, they, they can, you know, even as a non-member, they can go and get the, uh, the pocket guide. But is there anything like institution-wise that you can give suggestions for to an advisor that wants to start or build a foundation for for being more supportive? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, so I think the first thing I always say, I'm a historian, um, is read. 
read, 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 read. There's so <laughs> many incredible sources out there that don't necessarily have to do with higher ed, but can open your eyes um, to a different world. But the other thing is, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my advising philosophy. Treat people like family. Um, if a student tells you that they use they, them pronouns, make an effort to use those pronouns. And if you mess up, it's okay. Just say, I am so sorry. Correct yourself and move on. There's no hard feelings. It doesn't have to be a big deal. If a student does come out to you and you're like, I don't know what to do, that's okay. Just smile and say, thank you for sharing that with me. I feel really honored to be a part of your story. What can I do to support you? You don't have to know the answers. You don't have to have all of the, you know, big motivational quotes <laughs> to help a student through something. Sometimes just hearing them and letting them feel validated and supported in your presence and in your words is the most amazing part of their day, right? Um, the other big thing is to just make sure that no matter what student you're working with, whether they're part of the alphabet mafia or they're a student of color, not immediately judging them based on whatever stereotypes or preconceived notions that may be out there. Um, I know that there's so little research, but there's so many stereotypes. And so it's very important to just not get in your head about those things and to let the student present their story to you and honor that story. Um, because everyone is different. Everyone has unique challenges. I am certain that Matt and Colin, when you were in college and university, you had different challenges, right? Um, and someone validated your experience um, because now you're amazing advisors. And I feel like you can't have gotten to this place without having that validation from someone. Although I am making assumptions about y'all. <laughs> well, you're, it's a correct assumption for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I had that experience, right? I had that validation from a mentor and advisor who believed that I could do things and be amazing um, and change the world. And if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have maybe used that. And uh, Amy, I think there is plenty of objective evidence that you are brilliant, given that, you know, you had the Unsung Heroes Award, you were uh, selected for the Emerging Leaders Program. So it's not just you saying it or other people, there is objective evidence of, of your brilliance out there. Um, and I suppose you, you mentioned it a, a little bit, we talked about research, but can you talk to us a little bit about the PhD that you're undertaking? Yeah, that's my thing that I'm excited about right now. Um, so I have always thought of myself as a historian ever since I graduated undergrad, um, and wanted to work towards a PhD, but life happens, right? Life gets in the way. There's no straight line from point A to point B. And, um, I came to Auburn for the job, um, but getting to know folks realize that the thing that I'm interested in, there's a whole group of people who are interested in that and are working on it at Auburn. And um, so my research areas um, really focus, I'm sure you're going to be super surprised, <laughs> uh, women and gender, um, LGBT um, history, and feminism, more specifically Southern Black feminism. 
I think that's a huge hole in um, historical research. All three of those areas are actually pretty big holes um, where you can step into and make some some pretty startling discoveries. So um, right now I'm super fascinated with zine culture and riot girl and feminism, um, which, you know, I grew up kind of a punk rock goth kid um, <laughs> anyway. And so it's a very cool method of research. The 90s are just now beginning to be a researchable portion of history and um, growing up in the 90s, I was like, yeah, this is the best. Now I get to write the history of it. Um, so, yeah, I am so over the moon to have this opportunity um, and to have an amazing advisor who is so like willing to go whatever rabbit hole I'm going down at the moment. You know, she's like, just go for it. <laughs> so, yeah, I will say, though. <laughs> Um, PhDs and working full time, as many of us in Nakata know, is a, it's a struggle. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of lost sleep. Yeah, who needs sleep? Right? It's not important. <laughs> It'll just remind us of our days in, as undergrads where we stayed up all night to get prepped for our midterms or finals. Right? Well, I know you probably can't see this, um, which is great news for me. <laughs> but on this, um, I noticed, so like as an undergrad, I was so busy because I was involved with history and theater and English and like doing a whole bunch of different things. And so it wasn't unusual for me to get like three hours of sleep a night, if that. Mm -hmm. And I developed like permanent dark circles as an undergrad. And I didn't really think much about it. Um, until about two years after I graduated and I was like working as an adult and I realized they were gone and I was like, wow, huh, who knew sleep would fix that? <laughs> um, but I noticed last weekend I'm starting to develop it again. It's like just a little bit, oh, no. uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know what? It's going to be an adventure, and that's the best part of life. So if we see you at a conference and if we see the, those circles, we're like, okay, Amy's uh, <laughs> working on that PhD. And then once we see them, like maybe a couple years later and they're gone, we're like, you're done with your PhD. <laughs> All right. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's the way to tell. The other way to tell might be if I have my laptop and I'm sobbing into it. Yeah. You know, small things. <laughs> Now, you were at Young Harris College for, for many years, kind of moving up through yeah. various positions, administrative assistant, academic advising assistant, academic advisor, first year foundations instructor, assistant director. So kind of in a way, you know, that's kind of where, where you grew up. Mm -hmm. How was it a difficult decision to to leave Young Harris College for Auburn? Oh, man. So, yes, um, my husband and I were there for a decade. Um, and I know all of you out there going young Harris college and people are going to start Googling this, <laughs> but it is a super small private Methodist institution, um, in the North Georgia mountains. And when I say it's rural, I mean that in that it's literally two hours from everything. You want to go to target two hours. Um, you want to go to the grocery store or Walmart, 45 minutes. 
So <laughs> very, very small, very rural area, um, but beautiful. I mean, one of the most beautiful landscapes that I've seen um, in this country. So my husband and I had bought our dream house. Um, and I say that at the time it was our dream house. Um, we've since built in Auburn and uh, now it's my dream house because we actually built it from the ground up. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my formative work years were growing up and learning about the field, about myself, about students, um, and having some really wonderful mentors along the way. Um, you know, it's, we had a great team. So as I was planning to leave, as I was making that decision, um, I had an amazing supervisor in Jimmy Miller. Um, and we had a wonderful team, um, in the student success center. We had lunch together every day and we laughed and hung out side, you know, hung out outside of work. Um, you know, um, we had a after work, kind of ritual of watching Disney movies together. And, you know, it was an incredible team of amazing women who supported each other and uplifted each other. And when I left, I was really afraid that I would never find that kind of team again, um, which made me, I was incredibly blessed that I made a tough decision um, and left in December without another job. <laughs> um, but I was blessed that my husband was supportive and understood um, that. And so I was able to be a little picky um, and to really interview at some wonderful places with some great teams. Um, but to really settle in on one that made sense for us. And, um, I will say Auburn was my first choice. I mean, not as we were initially planning the job search. Um, I'm from the Midwest and I love the snow and I wanted to be back where it snowed a lot more. Um, and then, um, Ruthie Spears, who is a rock star, um, emailed me one day and she goes, I heard you're looking for a job. And there's this thing at Auburn. And I was like, man, South Alabama, it does not snow there, Ruthie. <laughs> and she was like, it doesn't, but you should still apply. And so I did. And um, I left, I left the interview feeling like this was home. And the team of advisors seemed like very similar to the team I was leaving. They were connected. They were a group. They had inside jokes. It was um, a really good atmosphere. Um, my associate dean is incredibly passionate about a lot of the same things I am. And so I knew working for her would be a breeze. Um, and I've never, in all of the interviews I did, and I think I feel like I must have done 50. It probably wasn't, but it felt like that. In all of my interviews, the dean of the college had never, like if I hadn't met with them as part of the interview, had never acknowledged that there were candidates on campus. Um, but our dean came out that morning 
said, hey, welcome. I'm so excited to meet you. I'm glad you're here. And as I was leaving, was like, hey, thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. And I was just blown away about how much... Um, there's a saying at Auburn that there's the Auburn family. And I know that's problematic <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? There's definitely some, some problematic theories behind the term family. But Auburn really is a family. I have kind of found this home where while I was really nervous and scared to leave my dream house and my dream team, um, but I've not regretted it because I've had such an amazing experience here. Yeah, and, and because he said that story, there's probably people listening right now that are going to be like, my dean never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Dean Patterson is incredible. Yeah. He really is incredible. And the College of Ag is a smaller college as well on Auburn's campus. Auburn, Auburn really has a huge engineering program, and uh, so that, that program's a little different. And you went from assistant director to director and you know with that comes the admin side of things so in terms of your your day-to-day do you still get the opportunity to to meet with students and what does your day-to-day look like yeah so as an advisor I really spent all the time with students that was the only thing and in some ways I miss it (laughs) right you get into advising for the students um But the difference for me day to day lays in really helping a team thrive. So instead of working with students to help them achieve their goals, I'm really working with my team of advisors who are fantastic folks um, and getting to support them is kind of the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, So I have a crazy to-do list like we all do, right? Started yet? I started tomorrow's to-do list already. Um, but day-to-day, I am, yes, advising. I have a very small cohort of students who I'm fortunate enough to advise um, in our smallest major, but that's only about 35 to 40 students a year, so um, not a huge load. Um, other than that, I do a lot of administrative work, of course, so um, I kind of run things, um, planning orientation right now. Um, Auburn has changed orientations methods uh, the last three years. <laughs> and so, you know, one to kind of react to a pandemic, but then we realized as we did some things because we had to adjust and do things virtually, some of this is really good. We should keep that. And so um, planning orientation every year, um, planning graduation. So at Auburn, um, the directors of advising really do say who can graduate or not. That's a big responsibility. So clearing graduation um, for students, working on curriculum models, working on retention plans, like When you're an advisor, you are part of a retention plan in that you're trying to help students succeed so that they can be retained and stay in college or stay in your program or stay in your major. Um, But you don't really ever think about how those get done until you're doing them. (laughs) And so, yeah, so a lot of the work that I do now is to support the students in a very different way um, and to support the advisors in a different way. And 
I don't know if it's because I do have such a great team. Like I cannot stress that enough. My team is amazing. Um, but I really find it very fulfilling to help develop advisors and work with advisors. So um, I have two brand new advisors um, have come in in the last, since I've been here. So the last three years and um, working with them has been fantastic. One of my advisors right now um, is actually actively deployed. Um, and so that's always been, um, that's fun when you're down an advisor, but um, definitely support the work he's doing for our country. <laughs> um, and we've been sending him care packages every month, which is kind of indicative of our team of like, how can we support you even when you're far away? Um, and then really getting to do those things that you didn't get to do at a university level. So at Auburn, we have a group of directors. Um, there are 15 of us, I think, and we all meet, um, and talk about how to make advising at the university better, coordinating our roles, um, shaping and crafting policy. That was not something you get to do as an advisor, shape or craft university policy, but it is something that I get to do now and enjoy. Um, and really, it's just this kind of vibrant change where students are still super important in my life and the work that I do, but I've pivoted more to support professionals. Yeah, so you're still able to have that impact on students' lives, but just in a different way. And it's definitely a team mm -hmm. effort, but, you know... I I think I can say, speak for maybe your advisors uh, on your team, that they have a good leader in you. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a bright future for both your advisors and for the students that, that are graduating. That's my goal is, you know, I always want to be the best leader I can for my team. Um, and so that's what I work towards every day. Well, it's great seeing the, the work that's being done. And, you know, I... I was looking forward to seeing you at, at last year's conference. Did it work out? So hopefully in for Ohio, we'll cross our fingers that it works out this time around. Yes. But if anyone listening has any questions or wants to reach out, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah. Um, so my email is so easy. It's literally abrock at auburn.edu, right? So super simple. Um, and I am pretty responsive to emails. I like a zero inbox policy. So... <laughs> If you email me, you're probably going to get a response sooner rather than later. So um, I'm always willing to talk to my colleagues in the advising community. Nakata has been such a wonderful home for me. Um, and Nakata is very much a family. Um, and so I definitely, I love talking to all of those Nakata folks. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Some great insights from Amy there. We wish her continued success in her career and with her doctoral studies. Thanks for listening to episode 32 of Adventures in Advising. That's right. So please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. So that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Advising Podcast. And until next time, keep advising. Don't want a complication, 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 complication.